Welcome to McKnight's Home Care Newsmakers podcast, where we share the latest information and views from industry leaders. I'm Liza Berger, editor of McKnight's Home Care. With the pace of activity into the home accelerating, it's a dynamic time for the field. I recently talked to Scott Powers, CEO of Alara Caring, about what the future holds for his company and home care in general. Thank you so much for joining me, Scott. Yeah, thanks for having me. We just both attended the Home Care Innovation Investment Conference in Chicago. You actually spoke at a keynote session at this conference. What were some of your takeaways? Home as a, as a healthcare setting has never been more strategic than it is today. If you just listen to the conversation, you know, Optum, um, Medicare Advantage leaders, CMS leaders, you know, the top three home care companies have basically been purchased. So, you know, the tailwinds in the industry are growing. Satisfaction, the, the cost, the quality, everything in the home has continued to accelerate. And um, the other thing I heard is, you know, labor reimbursement rates and interest rates are all perceived headwinds. So there's a lot of conversations around that. But, you know, in general, the demand for, for services and the growth of care into the home has never been greater than it is today. And that's the key takeaway. Mm-hmm. What to you is most exciting about the home care field right now and what's happening? Yeah, it's, it's consistent. It's, it's just how much care is going into the home, whether it's ER avoidance or hospital at home to sniff in the home to dialysis in the home, just how much care is leaving facility-based settings and headed to the home. That really, really is exciting to me. And, you know, the second thing is really the rise of technology, data innovation, and talent that's entering the space. This is just a much more sophisticated arena than it's ever been. And you got a lot of players investing money and time and energy into the space. Mm-hmm. Your firm, Alar Caring, offers quite a few kinds of services beyond skilled home health and personal care. You offer some really pretty innovative things, palliative care, behavioral health, which are really considered pretty new. How did these services come to be? Both are, are different stories. The behavioral health really sprouted in Connecticut and Massachusetts, where the states were closing down their mental health institutions several years ago, and they needed a place to send these patients so we developed a real competency of keep keeping people at home, healthy, progressing, and improving their mental health. And so what we did is we've taken that and expanded it into beyond chemical dependency, beyond drug addiction, beyond severe mental illness, and into more depression, anxiety, loneliness offerings that we help primarily with seniors now in our marketplaces. So we took a cool competency and we've just expanded it to all our locations. That's number one. And then on palliative side, it really grew out of referral source need. They needed solutions in the market. Maybe the physician wasn't ready for the hospice referral. We have chronic disease management issues. And we really just realized that you know, we've got a great consumer experience and our patients and consumers love our services. And so why do they, why do they need to stop, say, after a post-episodic event? Why can't we continue that relationship and help them with maybe their chronic disease management or progressing maybe toward end of life care. So that's really where palliative care came to be. Mm-hmm. And how have these services taken off? Are they on a national scale at this point or just in a few markets? Our behavioral health is, is in our scale, which is 18 state. And palliative care is right now a Michigan only opportunity for us, but we're learning how to do it there so that we can take it to the rest of our states, just like we did with behavioral health. You also offer an interesting telehealth benefit I'd like to learn more about called Alara Connect. 
Yeah, so, you know, Lara Connect, is, it's a, telehealth is part of it, but it's much bigger than that. This platform we built, is, it's a personalized care platform that sits over the top of all of our business units. So think of it as you have a, a, maybe a post-acute patient who's at home getting services from us. You know, maybe they're, they're more ill than they think and they need to be in, into a hospice program. That program helps us define that information, collect that information, and start progressing that person down that path. Or another get a big service we have in this program is a skilled patient who ends their episode of care and we keep track of them and we communicate with them. And let's just say six months later, they're in need of skilled services again. And so we keep track of that and help them. And that really keeps the patient from getting back into a higher cost setting that maybe they don't need to be in a proactive way. And so that's really the genesis of Alara Connect. And it's really accelerated during the pandemic. And now we've added personal care services to that offering and and really helping people who might need help with daily living tasks in the home. I mean, we have, since we're in the home and we have such a great consumer experience, we build a lot of trust, which allows us to cross-serve those patients from service line to service line. And given we're one of the only home care companies that has this broad mix of, of service lines, it allows us to really serve that patient more holistically okay, than, than many of our peers can. So that's the exciting part. And now we're really taking it to, as you described, more of a telehealth and centralized clinical model where that's needed or where that can be useful. And so we're using remote patient monitoring data and really turning that into insight that we can then act upon in a real-time basis, which is very helpful when we talk about value-based care because that's, you know, outcomes are going to matter even more in those agreements. So that's probably a longer story of, of Alara Connect, but we're really excited about it. Mm-hmm. What's interesting to me, is it really mainly with your personal care as opposed to your home health patients? No, it's actually with our home health patients that started and is, 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 you know, 80% of what we do there. Uh, personal care is the new addition to the program. We have a much bigger census there, and it's actually the biggest part of our business. So it's kind of a new, a new area of opportunity for us on the PCS side. Mm-hmm. What's ahead for you? You're obviously looking to see what patients need, what might work in this new value-based care world. What do you have your eye on for the next, you know, five years? Yeah, it's a great question. I think three material ones that stand out. Number one, SNF at home is such an important part of what we think we can do better than anybody else. Again, we have all the service lines to not only provide the clinical care at home, but the non-clinical care. I mean, we're essentially taking higher-risk patients since the pandemic anyway. So we're doing technically a lot of SNF at home. It's just, we're not getting maybe um, reimbursed for the entire piece of the value equation that we're providing there. So that's a big one. Behavioral health, we talked about, but going forward, we look, behavioral health is going to be a key part of our value-based strategy. Those patients are typically high-cost patients. They're they're great patients that payers would like to have a risk-based agreement with. And we have a, a key competency there. So that's going to be a big part of what we do. And then last, I'd say, you know, there's a lot of discussions around conveners on the Medicare Advantage side of the business. We see that we can be a convener in many places. We don't need to rely on the typical convener. We can be our own where we can procure and build a network and take risk with payers in communities where we're very strong and be that kind of conduit to other providers. So that's an important part of what we're looking at moving forward. That's really interesting that the topic of the convener has been really much talked about these last couple of years. And I think maybe a couple of years ago, they had a negative connotation. I think that's since changed, but you seem to be really on the, on the edge of this stuff. What is your impression now of conveners and 
what exactly does it mean to, to become a convener? The concept of being a convener is, is a good one. Having been in the Medicare Advantage side of the business for many years prior to being in the home health side of the business, curating a, a network for home health, any post-acute care, is, is a messy business prepares. There's just a lot of different providers that you have to keep in the mix. And, and so the idea of bringing that together and taking risk on it makes a tremendous amount of sense from a payer point of view. So I see the idea is useful. I think the key is not to become just one of the pieces and become a commodity in the back end of that. So whoever's taking the risk is going to want to make a return for taking that risk. And so I'm a firm believer that we need to try to keep our relationships with whoever is bearing the risk, but more importantly, with those payers and those ATA groups, for example. So the way we look at it is in many of our communities where we're very strong, we have those relationships. And more importantly, we have access to those patients, which is, is where the value is created. So we want to try to band together with other post-acute providers and, and build that out ourselves and therefore kind of keep us all in control of our destiny. So that's, uh, that's our desire. We know we can't do that everywhere, but in many of our communities where we have density and, and relationship, that'll be a, a key deliverable for us. Is a convener sort of like a middle agent that connects patients to providers and networks, or is it really something more than that? It could be that, and I think it will. But I think that the connecting the patient to the care is still going to be between the provider and the patient, I believe, and the referral source. So I, I don't think that changes with this. I think the conveners are really going to be risk-bearing entities that build networks and basically do utilization management. That's, that's kind of how they're defined today. So that has its positives and negatives, right? Think of it as more managed care, but specifically for the post-acute side of the business, again, which has its advantages and disadvantages. But I, I don't see them ever kind of owning the patient relationship and actually owning the caregivers who provide that care. It's just more of a, another, well, a convener, but another middleman in the process. Mm-hmm. Then segueing into really what we're talking about is value-based care. We heard so much about at the conference about how imperative it is, not elective, but really imperative it is for home health and home care to be part of this new value-based world, forming relationships with payers, showing your value, using data to demonstrate what you can do. Why, in your opinion, is it so important to be part of value-based care? Our industry delivers exceptional value to the patient and the payer, but we haven't been good at providing or articulating that value. For example, we keep readmissions from happening unnecessarily. We keep ER visits from happening unnecessarily. We're actually diverting patients away from the SNFs because patients want to be in their home. Consumer satisfaction is off the charts, right? I mean, we, we measure net promoter score at the end of every care episode, and it's a 93 net promoter score, which is a world class in any industry. And then you kind of layer on the social determinants of health. If, you, if you're in someone's home every other day, you know kind of what's driving not only the medical conditions, the pieces behind that. So the access in the home. And so that needs to be translated into producing outcomes that we can share in the benefit with the organizations like Medicare Advantage, who are essentially taking the risk. So to me, that's important. And I don't think it's going to be optional over time, just because the Medicare Advantage is growing rapidly. This program's only been in existence for 20 years, and already 50% of the Medicare beneficiaries are in a Medicare Advantage plan. It's going to continue to grow. If you 
fast forward this to 2030, for example, you know, there's going to be more and more beneficiaries in these plans. So, you know, we have to find a way to translate this value that we're creating in, into these partners that we have. And I call them partners because they are going to be partners. And then the last thing is just, it's just the biggest issue probably is CMS has mandated that by 2030, you know, all seniors need to be in value-based agreements if they're on Medicare or Medicare Advantage. So there, there's a snake in the ground where we have to be. Mm-hmm. Where is Alara caring at this point in your relationships with Medicare Advantage? How, how much of this business do you have? You know, it's pretty small for us today because the, the old construct of a, a fee per visit with a regulated number of visits, or, you know, just isn't a good financially viable model. So we've opted to, you know, minimize it because we can as an organization that produces great quality with a really broad product. So we, we could be selective of who we do business with in a world where clinicians are at a, at a premium. So, you know, we're, we're very small. Less than 10% of our business today is, is Medicare Advantage. That's us as a good starting point because now we can be selective and, and work with payers who want this value proposition, who are willing to share in the value we create. That's, that's how we're looking at going forward. Interesting. What about Medicaid? How innovative is Medicaid with the home and community-based services element that it provides? It's not to the level Medicare Advantage is. You have some states like New York that are a little more progressive and, and will kind of lead the pack, I think, in terms of value-based care in the home. I think our data on the provider side is getting really sharp. We can, we can articulate you know, how many people we're keeping out of high-cost care settings. But I, I think the audience on the Medicaid side, particularly the, the MCOs, you know, they're, they're just a little less sophisticated around this than the Medicare Advantage organizations are. But I, I expect that gap will close over time. Mm-hmm. Do you think you'll be doing more of this business then on the Medicaid side? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So you're doing about 10% Medicare Advantage. So many of our readers, you know, home health agencies probably aren't doing anything at this point. So what can a, a small home health firm learn from what something like Alara Caring has done and, and why should they care? I'll start with the, the second part first, why they should care, right? You know, CMS is putting us all in value-based purchasing agreements. So our ability to get paid either, you know, the full amount or a bonus or actually detracted amount depends on our quality. And the, the value-based purchasing process really focuses on the speed of care the readmission rate to higher cost settings and the consumer experience of those services. So, so everybody, all of us who are going to be caring for Medicare patients are going to have some portion of our fee structure dependent on taking risk. So that's number one. So I would suggest the smaller players, the first part of your question is start small and simple. You know, Get, get into a, an agreement where your outcomes are such that you get paid based upon your outcome, whether it's a readmission rate or some type of care, feed of care, and, you know, go learn and learn to be a partner to the payer and learn to expect if you're adding value, you should be getting something in return for that. The second thing I would suggest is align with a bigger player who can bring you along and do some of the heavy lifting around that. So, you know, whether it's one of these traditional conveners or another home health agency who's who's in need of some help to fill out the network, that's where I would suggest they go. Sounds like good advice. 
I wanted to ask you about this recent report that came out that was uh, very critical of private equity. It mentions that among the top five private equity firms in home health, of which Alara Care is one of them, these five firms are really taking the bulk of the private equity Medicare dollars. How do you respond to a report like this? And what, in your mind, are the benefits and drawbacks of being affiliated with private equity? The first thing I would say is, you know, I've worked in both for-profit and not-for-profit organizations. So I've seen and experienced both sides of this. And I would say that, you know, you can, do quote, do good and make money at the same time. And I will also say that there are good and bad actors in both the profit and non-for-profit side of the business. You know, I've, I've worked for nonprofit entities. I've seen them. You know, these, these organizations often have huge balance sheets and they get that way by making money, right? And they also sometimes hide behind their tax exempt status and pay their executives well. So, you know, I think just, you know, be careful first and foremost about splitting the world into these two for-profit, not-for-profit or PE versus non-PE categories. And so that's first. And then second, I'd say, you know, I think private equity gets a bad rap unnecessarily on some of these things, right? Every private equity firm that I've worked with, which are many, understand in order to make a return for their shareholders, the business has to take care of their customers, their employees, their communities, be successful. And if they don't, then they're, they're not going to make a return. So, you know, I would just say, like, they're, they're smart. They, they are capitalistic. So, you know, that's part of the, the drill. But it doesn't mean that they, they undercut and somehow do things they shouldn't do in order to make that happen. They know in order to make the business valuable, they have to do the right thing. And what I've actually seen is being in private equity organizations, outcomes, innovation, sense of urgency are all typically much higher in those organizations. So the consumer oftentimes benefits as a result of that because they have a high sense of urgency to make it right for the consumer and grow the business. You know, I would just hope, I would just say, you know, my final word on this is just stewards of our taxpayers' money, that they spend less time putting us in a box and more time on focusing on the specific bad actors whether they be profit or not-for-profit entity, and get more specific on those locations. I think that solves the problem more than trying to categorize, right? Go after the problems and, and solve the problems. And, and that's how I would leave it. I, I just don't see it as necessary to kind of categorize it. And because the history and the data, I don't always think supports it. Well, on that note, fortunately, I'd love to keep talking but uh, we run out of time. So thank you so much, Scott Powers, for joining me today. It was a real pleasure. Thank you for having me and have a great weekend. Scott Powers with Alara Carey. Thank you for listening to McKnight's Home Care Newsmakers podcast. For the latest in home care news, visit McKnight'sHomeCare.com.